Well, good evening, Family Church Waterside. Um, it's good to be on our Sunday night local broadcast. Um, I'm looking forward to sharing the word of God with you all tonight. Um, so I hope you will take something from it that you can apply to your walk with God. Um, yeah, so let's just open with a quick prayer before we dive straight into the message. Let's get right into it. Okay, so Father God, thank you that you that you want to speak to us from your word. Thank you, God, that you've given us your word um, and you've given us opportunities like this to, to hear the word. God, I pray you just speak into the hearts of each person that listens and that each person would walk away with um, with a new uh, something new that they've learned about you, God. I pray that, that tonight you would just be glorified in this message, God. I pray you just anoint my words and that they would just reach the heart of every person who listens. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So tonight I'm going to be continuing the series on building the house Um, and tonight I'm going to be speaking uh, from the book of Nehemiah. Um, So the title of my message is A Mind to Work. Um, So I'm going to be speaking on the theme of being consumed for God, wholeheartedly seeking him and desiring that his will be done. Um, I won't have time to read through all 13 chapters of Nehemiah, um, obviously, so I would really encourage you all to just go away and read them in your own time. It's not a really fantastically long book, um, it's pretty short and sweet, um, and I think it will really help your understanding of the message. Um, In fact, if you're watching this on catch-up and not live, you can maybe pause and just go read the book now, it won't take too long. Um, Okay, so let's have a quick summary of Nehemiah uh, for anybody who hasn't read or doesn't know the story maybe. So the book of Ezra, uh, which Pastor Paul spoke from last week, um, and uh, the book of Nehemiah that I'm going to be speaking from today, um, are sort of a part one and a part two of the return from exile uh, of the Jews to, to back to Israel, the, the sort of story of resettling Israel. So Nehemiah is a historical account um, of the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. It's widely accepted as a historical account. Um, in exactly the same way as classical historians writing. So if you know any classical historians, um, it's, it's accepted in exactly the same way um, as a truly historical source for the way that the walls were rebuilt. So the book itself tells us it's set in the 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia. So that placed it about the year 445 BC. Um, so that's 445 years roughly before the birth of Christ. So that places it in our kind of timeline. So Nehemiah himself um, was the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. So that gave him a lot of sway and a lot of relationship with the king. Um, you, you had to be a really trusted person to, to be the cupbearer to the king. Um, it was quite a, you, you had to taste the wine, you had to taste what he was having so, so that he wouldn't be poisoned. And if you could bribe a cupbearer, you'd have your way straight to the king. You'd have a direct way of assassinating the king. So it had to be a really trusted person. Um, so the king uh, really trusted his cupbearers and they would have a lot of sway. Um, with the king. So um, he was a Jew, Nehemiah, he was a Jewish man, um, but he had been born and brought up in Persia, um, and Persia had conquered Israel at this point. So Nehemiah had never had never actually lived in, Ju- in Jerusalem or Israel. He'd been brought up in this um, environment where he was in exile. So many Jews were living in exile actually from Israel at this time um, because of the, the sort of occupation of Israel by the Babylonians and the Persians. So in the first chapter of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is really greatly saddened to hear that the walls of Jerusalem had been completely destroyed. Um, and th- this had happened about 150 years before, but he, uh, he he'd kind of he was sad to hear that after Ezra had kind of rebuilt the temple, that the walls were still in, in desolation, basically completely destroyed. So the walls of the city were the defences and the might of the city. Um, an ancient city was really only as good as its walls. Um, and... Um, Jerusalem had a special place in the heart um, 
in the, in the kind of cultural identity and the heart of, of the Jewish people. Um, it was considered the holiest city in Judaism and um, still is to this day. Um, and it's almost a spiritual homeland to the Jews even today. So um, Nehemiah weeps for days are following this kind of new news, or it's kind of not news, old news, if you like, that the walls have been destroyed or the walls are still destroyed. Um, and then he gets permission from the king. Um, remember, he had a lot of sway with the king. So he gets permission from the king to go to Jerusalem. Um, and he goes to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and the city gates. So with a team of builders or um, many people from kind of Jerusalem, the, the locals, he manages to build the walls and the gates in 52 days. So that's quite an accomplishment, but not without a lot of opposition from other regional powers in the area, like the Ammonites and the Arabs and the Ashdodites and all of these other peoples. Okay, so that's where I'm going to start off, actually, at this point in the story. So in the middle of the story, when Nehemiah has been sent with a declaration from the king, permitting him to go and repair these walls. So he's there, and he and the Israelites um, are from the area are rebuilding the walls um, in the midst of taunting and opposition from all these people who don't want them to build the walls. So if you've got your Bible handy, go over to Nehemiah 4, verse 6. Now I'll give you a couple seconds to get there. This is... Um, this is just, yeah, right in the middle, he's being, they've kind of taunted, the, the, the enemies of Israel have taunted the Israelites, kind of mocked them as they were rebuilding re the walls and had made some plans against them. But Nehemiah 4, 6 um, is then this verse here. So it says, so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. And that's the key phrase for tonight. If you remember the title of my message, it's a mind to work. So the people had a mind to work. Well, what does that mean? Um, that is a good question, and that is a good place to start. So that means the people were set on what they had been called to do. They had a, the, the people had their minds fixed on one thing, and that they refused to be distracted by what was going on around them. Um, they'd been called for a purpose, and this purpose was to build the walls of Jerusalem and to restore the city to how it had been before. But why did these Israelites have a mind to work? What was the reason that they were so inclined to go and pursue their goal with this tenacity that they did, um, despite having really real, real, very real reasons not to? And we're going to examine some of that as we go through some of the reasons they had not to, but why they did. So I think we can find the answer to this question, why did they have this mind to work, um, by going back to the beginning of the story. So we started in the middle, we're going back to the beginning. It's a bit of a jumpy, jumpy timeline. Um, but let's go to Nehemiah 1, verse 1 to 4. So jump back there with me. So um, if you've got your Bible handy, turn over there. Here we see Nehemiah narrating his story. So this is the first verse of the book of Nehemiah. So here's what he says. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year, as I was in Susa the citadel. So this is sort of uh, late November, early December time is the month of Chislev. Um, and in Susa the Citadel, that is basically the palace. So he's in the king's palace, that's where he lives. So a very privileged position, obviously. So he's there and he says that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So in these verses, we see the story begin with one man. This man, Nehemiah, um, asked his brother about the state of Jerusalem. And upon hearing this report from him that the walls were still in complete disrepair, something breaks in Nehemiah. In it, it, deep within him, it just it breaks and he weeps and he mourns for days. 
So in, in this moment, we see a man who catches God's heart for the situation. The whole story begins with somebody catching God's heart, but not just being briefly troubled, um, as people often are when they hear of injustice or some issue facing the world, not just kind of a, oh, that's pretty rubbish, let's just kind of push that out of my mind so that I can think about something nicer. He truly caught God's heart and he took a hold of it. Um, and Nehemiah truly understands that something needs to be done. He, he's driven to do something from it. He, he knows that something needs to change here. And he does what we should always do when, he's, when he was confronted with a monumental task um, or gigantic barrier in the way of the kingdom purposes of God. Right? He fasted, he prayed, and he brought it before the Lord. So Nehemiah was so consumed, so completely consumed, and, and his mind was completely fixed on what God had put on his heart that it wrecked him for days. For days. I don't know if you've ever cried for days and wept and mourned. And the, the way the Israelites mourned was very, very intense. They would, like tear their robes. Um, that is called renting. You like rent your robe. Um, and it, it, he kind of and you wear you put ash on your head and all of this. And it, he did it for days. For, for days he sat there because of some walls, right? So when we have a true understanding of God's heart, um, we be, and we begin to have a revelation of the glory and the majesty of God then we'll mourn and become distraught, we'll weep, we'll fast and we'll pray. Because Nehemiah had this kind of cultural and religious understanding um, that's kind of lost on us today as we read back perhaps. It's really easy to look at this and kind of think, well, isn't that a bit of an overreaction um, to some broken wall, a bit of broken wall? Um, you know, I've kind of explained that it was kind of representative of the strength of a city, but still it's a bit of an overreaction. But what we're lacking is this Jewish cultural and religious perspective. So, see, God had chosen, had chosen, chosen the nation um, and the people of Israel for himself, right, to be set apart, to be a holy people um, and called by his name, right? These were a holy people. They were God's people. And that's how they were known. Um, and Jerusalem, being the capital of Israel, um, God's nation, was symbolic of the nation. So when Nehemiah hears of these broken walls, he, he mourns partly for his people and their nation, I think. I think that's absolutely true. You know, there's the, the element of the place where you were brought, uh, the place that you've kind of have, have a lot of history tied to. Obviously, he wasn't brought up there. He was brought up in Persia. But um, the place that he kind of had cultural ties to and the, the where his people were from, um, I think he mourns partly for that. Absolutely. But I think he also sees the continued desolation of Jerusalem as an insult to God right? He, what he sees is, is a nation that had been chosen to be a holy people for God, uh, for the glory of God, but then had abandoned God, right? Um, they had abandoned God, they turned from God, and, and they dishonoured the glory and the holiness of God. Because um, the city had been destroyed 150 years prior by the Babylonians as punishment from God because of the sins of Israel. Israel sinned greatly against God, they turned from him, they did lots of idol worship, they, they sacrificed kids, they did all sorts of things that were completely disgusting in the sight of God. Um, and the punishment was that they would be destroyed by the Babylonians. So to continue to see the city that represents um, the people of God completely ruined would be a continued reminder of the sins of the people and how they had sinned against their holy God, how they had actively worked against God's glory. So when Nehemiah catches God's heart here, he's really catching a revelation from God, right? Um, God is telling Nehemiah that the time of punishment is over and that it's time to rebuild the walls for the glory of the God of Israel. So God does all things for his glory to be demonstrated. That's just a, that's a key thing to always keep in the, in the back of your head. Whenever anything happens, keep in mind that God does all things for his glory. Um, so to catch God's heart for anything is really at root 
to begin to desire that God be glorified in that area, right? That, that we just, we, we, we put a spotlight on God in that area. We lift up God's holy name. We proclaim him, we glorify him, we give him honor. That's really what it is to catch God's heart. So even if we don't realize it, when we suddenly have a burden for something from God, um, it's because God is letting us know that he wants to be glorified through that action, right? So in the same way that Nehemiah realized it was time that God be glorified by Israel, turning from their sin and reforming as a nation of God's holy people, we should be people that come to desire to build the kingdom of God on earth for his glory, right? So let me give some examples of ways that God might speak to us and kind of be saying that he wants to be glorified. So I don't know what God's burdening your heart with at the moment. That's a good question to ask yourself. What's God burdening my heart with? Is there anything? Perhaps it's your workplace, right? Is God putting your co-workers on your heart, telling you it's time for his glory to be demonstrated through you reaching out to them in love, right? That glorifies God. Maybe God's put your school or your college on your heart, um, telling you that it's time to demonstrate his glory by speaking to the lost about his great love. Maybe God's put the poor or the homeless or a country in Africa or South America or Eastern Europe um, on your heart. If that's the case, then your work in these places or for these places or these people should be with the goal of bringing glory and fame and renown to God's name in these places. To make the name of Jesus known in these places, to make God's love and mercy known among the people. Right. And one of the many ways we can glorify God is to show people his love. Right, that glorifies God. We can lead people to Christ. That glorifies God. It, it exhibits his mercy in, in forgiving us of our sins. That glorifies God. We can help the sick and the poor and the needy. And that also glorifies God. Right. So one area that I think we should definitely, definitely have God's heart for is the church. Right. I think if God isn't being glorified in church, then something's definitely wrong with that church. Um, so building the house and developing a mind to work, um, a mind to work, starts with catching God's heart desiring that God be glorified. So are you listening to his voice today, Family Church Waterside? Um, are you listening to or reading his word? Because he makes his heart very clear in his word. Uh, he, he makes very clear what he cares about. If you want to see what issues God cares about, um, you've probably got a three inch book within about 10 feet of you that's brimming with God's heart, that's overflowing and he wants to speak to you through it. And as you read the word, ask the Holy Spirit who dwells within us when we've, when we've repented of our sins, placed our faith in Christ, then the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us. Um, and ask that Holy, the Holy Spirit of God, who is God, to impress upon your heart a desire for what God desires, to share with you God's heart. Ask, ask him, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And then read the Bible, continue to pray, and even fast. Um, and I believe that God will begin to answer that prayer. We've just come out of a time of fasting, but you don't have to only fast in the 21, the 21 days at the beginning of January every year. Uh, you can fast at other points and it doesn't have to be a whole church fast. You can just fast by yourself. So if you're seeking God, absolutely, you can fast. So I'd encourage you to do that. Um, yeah, and I believe that God will begin to answer your prayer. Um, you'll start to desire to do radical and bold things for God's glory, for all for the glory of God. And you'll understand then why Nehemiah became such a broken man over the walls of Jerusalem. Okay. So as we see in the story of Nehemiah, a mind to work, title of my message, um, begins with a heart that is aligned with God's own heart. Right. And since God's heart is always that his glory be displayed, a mind to work begins with a heart that desires God's glory. The more we desire to glorify God and that everything we do would bring him glory, the more we're consumed with his kingdom purposes on earth. We desire to do God's work here on earth as we're consumed with his um, 
with his kingdom purposes and as we gain his heart. To, we, 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 we desire to feed the hungry, to heal the sick, to clothe the needy, and perhaps most importantly, to reach the lost, right? God's great love for humans is what took Jesus to the cross, right? The fact that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that's John 3.16, if you want a verse reference for that. Um, but the fact that he gave his one and only son to be crucified for our sins out of love demonstrates the glory of God. That glorifies God. The people in Nehemiah's day faced a lot of opposition, right? And as we, we kind of touched on that right at the beginning, um, from other tribes and peoples of the area. But they didn't get distracted or thrown off from what God had called them to do. They had a mind that was set on working because they understood the importance of the task at hand. They understood that... They understood what God had called them to do. They understood the importance of it, the, the need to glorify God, the importance of what they were doing. They, they knew it. They understood it. They caught God's heart. They understood it was time for the walls to be built again so that God might be glorified among the people. So that people would no longer look at the walls and see a broken mess that dishonoured God, but rather would look at a strong city, a strong city representative of a strong Israel that glorified God and exalted his holy name and that was called by his name. So when we catch God's heart for a specific area, this grows within us a mind to work, like the men of Israel had in building the walls, right? Hope that makes sense. So this mind to work, which, as I've explained, comes from understanding God's heart and catching a hold of it, is a powerful tool from God. You know, a mind to work truly is a powerful tool from God. We know that God equips those people that he calls, right? We see time and time again in the Bible that God equips the people he calls to do something for him. And it would be a bit unfair if he didn't. Like, think about it. If I'm like, I expect you to do this or I need you to do this for me. And then you just like have nothing with you. How you can do it? Like, he, it would be an unfair expectation on us to do things if he didn't give us the, the ability to do that. Because we don't really have much ability in ourselves to do any of these things. It's all by his power. So he equips the people that he calls. Um... And, you know, we see that throughout the Bible. Um, and I could do a whole sermon on that. <laughs> I'm sure there are many, many out there. But, um, you know, I'm going stick, stick to stick with the theme for tonight, which is mind to work. Um, but since we know that we, he equips those people that he calls, we know that when he calls us to do something for him, he will give us what we need to do it. Right? We can have confidence in that fact. We can trust in God. We can have confidence that he will give us what we need to do the job that he has called us to do, um, even if we don't feel like it. Right? Sometimes it doesn't feel like we've, we've got the tools that we need. It doesn't feel like I can do this. But he really has given us the tools. Um, and one of those things I think that we need to do, you know, most things that God, or in fact everything that God calls us to do, um, <clears throat> is a mind to work. So in the book of Nehemiah, we see this mind to work overcome several obstacles. Um, but that is because the mind to work is of God and it's not of man's own strength. Right? We see in Philippians, Philippians 4.13, so jot that one down, um, that... Paul, the Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he is, of course, referring to things, all things in Christ that he has been called to do. He can't just do like all things because that would just be that's just obviously not true. He's not saying I can fly. But if God called him to be somewhere super quick and he really needs to go there, then maybe he could fly. Um, but <laughs> he could bear any trial. Right. He could go through any trial. He could perform any duty. He could overcome any temptation, but not in himself. He had no power to do that in himself. It was through the spirit of God that lived in him. So when the Holy Spirit places on our hearts a burden for the things of God, um, the resulting mind to work then can persist even through trials and struggles because the cause is not in and of ourselves, but of God through his Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit then enables us to persist uh, and carry on and, and push through all hardships, no matter what comes against us. We can stand firm in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what hardships might we face? Um, well, we see Nehemiah and the people of Israel face several challenges, right? So let's turn to Nehemiah 3, verse 8 to 9. Um, I'll give you a second to get there. I won't be turning there because I've got it on my notes, but you can turn there. Um, so, so at this point, um, the work has started on the walls, okay? So Nehemiah has gathered the people to work um, and construction has begun. Um, and here Nehemiah is telling us who is constructing different parts of the walls. So I'm just going to read from the from here now. Nehemiah 3, 8 to 9. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Hahiah, goldsmiths, repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Raphiah, the son of Hur, the ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. Here we see a goldsmith repairing next to a perfumer and next to them a local politician or ruler. Now, I'm not a builder, I'm not an expert in building and building walls, but I do know that goldsmithing, perfumery and governmental work are very, very different to stonemasonry, which is what you would think that they would be, that they would have to do with the walls, right? Stonemasonry, making bricks, building up a big wall. Um, but these people had caught God's heart, right? And their mind was set on work. So they could have easily given the excuse that it wasn't their field of expertise. And this is this is the problem they faced. They didn't have a lot of stonemasons. Right. So they could have easily given this excuse that it wasn't their expertise. There wasn't their field of expertise um, and that they didn't think they'd be able to do it. Um, in the case of the local ruler, he could have just said the work was beneath him. Right. In fact, in verse five, which is just before the ones we read, we just read eight to nine, I think. Yes. Eight to nine. So in verse five of this chapter, um, we see that some of the people did actually use this excuse it says in the bible that they would not it says they would not stoop to serve the lord so i think we can fairly safely say that these people who wouldn't stoop to serve the lord hadn't caught god's heart they hadn't understood god's heart they hadn't taken a hold of that and implemented it and developed a mind to work because they'd caught because they hadn't caught a hold of god's heart they hadn't got a revela- gotten a revelation of it and so they hadn't developed this mind to work so how can we apply this how does it apply to our lives I think we can make sure that we're not making excuses when God asks us to do something, right? Church is a great example. So, but of course it goes much further than church. Um, Church is a good example for these things, but it goes really deep into our everyday lives as well in whatever God calls us to do. At work, at home, with our kids, with our spouses, with whatever, whatever God calls you in. But I'm going to use church as as a quick example. So if we truly catch God's heart for his church, um, then our mind to work will mean that we're willing to fill team roles that need filling. Right. If something needs doing, then it gets done because um, nobody considers themselves above it. No one says, oh, well, I'm I'm this level and that's for the people lower down or anything like that. Right. There's none of that. There's no pride of heart. There's a mind to work and stuff gets done. Um, If kids church needs workers, but you're not experienced with kids, say you're really great at making coffee, but you're not so good with kids. Right. Um, Then or you haven't spent a lot of time with kids then truly understanding God's heart for the church and for the children will produce a willingness to jump on team anyway, right? And, that, and that's just, it's just a willingness. I'm not saying that if you're on Java, you have to jump onto a uh, kid's church or anything like that. I'm just, the principle there is that, you know, there's a willingness to serve in whatever we need serving. There's a heart to serve because we understand what we're, what, what we're doing and why we're doing it. We have a mind to work because we've taken a hold of the things of God. We've taken a hold of the heart of God and we want to see God glorified in the church and in the kids' church. Um, so we're just going to jump in whatever needs doing. Does that make sense? Um, 
so when we have a mind to work, we're set on God's purposes with our whole being. Um, because we've caught God's heart, then it doesn't matter what we're used to, right? It doesn't matter if we're not a professional. It doesn't matter if you wouldn't normally choose to do something um, or you choose to do it a certain way or a different way um, because you're just so focused and consumed and ablaze and passionate for the things of God that you'll get on and do it no matter what. So if that sounds foreign to you, if you can't relate, then just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the heart of God to you, right? Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to catch God's heart and to be filled with a mind to work. I'm not saying if you don't have a mind to work, then you've got to go do a six week course in developing a mind to work. I'm not saying if you don't have God's heart, then you've got to try really, 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 really hard to hear it. I'm not saying that if you don't have a mind to work, then you should just get on and do it anyway because you just feel like you have to. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying if you don't have a mind to work or a heart that desires what God desires, then ask for one. It's that simple. Because the sooner we realise that a spirit-filled life isn't a life of behaviour modification and not a life of outward adjustments, but is a life of power, that a changed heart and a changed mind and a total surrender to him who purchased us with his blood, um, then the sooner we'll learn to simply ask and be willing, right? Ask the Holy Spirit to change your heart, to create in you a clean heart that desires what God desires. Believe that he hears you and is faithful to do it and then just be willing to allow him to do it and it will happen. The work of the cross is a radical regeneration of the heart. So I don't ever want to lessen or detract from the significance of the cross and Jesus' death and resurrection by saying that becoming saved is just a self-help guide to becoming a better you, right? You can get books for that, but that's not the gospel message. It's just not true, right? The gospel message is a, go is a message of a changed heart and de changed desires, right? The process of sanctification, this is called, is the process of becoming holier in every aspect of life. And we're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So it's a life-changing, heart-changing, mind-renewing process. A question I've actually been asked in the past by, my, by one or two of my non-Christian friends is, why don't you do X, Y, Z sin? Why don't you do that? Like, how can you not do that? That's everything everyone does, right? And what they say is, oh, I could never give up that. <laughs> I could never stop doing that. Um, and what they don't quite understand is just how true those words are, right, in their own power. The purpose of the Old Testament law that we read um, in the first five books of the Bible um, is to highlight to us our complete inability to meet God's holy standards. We, could, we can't do it ourselves. Um, and that's what the law shows us. Right. But we were so unable to change, in fact, um, that our old nature had to be crucified on the cross with Christ um, so that we could be born again with a nature free of sin. We actually had to die our old nature had to die. In the, 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 I, can't, I haven't got a verse reference for this, but um, it says in the New Testament somewhere that we were crucified with Christ, right? Um, and, and that makes us new. We've been given a new nature. So then this process of sanctification is a process of living out this new nature by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what some of my non-Christian friends just don't get is it's so much deeper than altering my behaviour because now I actually don't want to sin. I have a changed desire. I don't desire to sin. Because the Holy Spirit within me has altered my desires and given me an understanding of the weight of sin and the dishonour it gives to God, to, to the God who knitted me together in my mother's womb, the God who bled and died for me on the cross. So all of that is to really say, ask God for these things if you don't recognise them in your own life. Right? Ask him to show you his heart and to break yours for what breaks his and to give you a mind to work and he'll do it. So let's have a look at the next issue that the Israelites faced. So turn with me, if you will, to Nehemiah 4, verse 7 to 9. Nehemiah 4, 7 to 9. I'll give you a couple seconds to get there. Okay. 
Um, so here we're just looking at the enemies of God, the enemies of God and of Israel. Um, just this is focusing in on them now. So, but when Sanballat and Tobiah, so these are the leaders of the the kind of bad guys in the story, um, and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. So here we see the enemies of God and of the people of Israel angry that Jerusalem was being restored. And these different factions that were against Israel united and they began to plan um, against Israel to prevent the walls from being built. So remember that at the beginning I said the walls were the key to an ancient city, right? Having no walls made a city an easy target for looting and attack and very vulnerable, basically. So there, as well as this, um, there could be a, an element of these groups being historical elements, uh, historical enemies of Israel, right? So seeing the walls rebuilt sort of brought with it this connotation of Israel becoming a regional power again, becoming powerful again, and that scared them and they didn't like it. So I think this illustrates something that can come against us in our labour for God's purposes on earth. Right. And that is opposition from others. So I don't really need to explain to you how to recognise opposition. Um, I'm sure at some point everyone has experienced opposition. Um, some opposition has good intent behind it. It comes from a good place and that people are just trying to find ways to improve. Um, but it's still opposition. Um, and some comes from malicious or self-seeking intent from a bad place. Right. So however opposition comes, we can still stand strong. Um, obviously, take wise counsel into consideration and, and be considerate of other people. Um, but we can still stand strong if we know we're doing the right thing. So as the people of Israel did. So opposition comes against us in two main ways, I, I think. Um, so the first is the actual attack, the actual opposition, um, and whatever people or the devil might do to frustrate um, what we've been called to do. So we can take action um, against this opposition in different ways. Uh, for example, Nehemiah set a guard to keep watch, not wanting to be caught off guard, right? Um, so when we're working for God's purposes on earth, um, we should always be aware that the devil prowls like a roaring lion, right? Um, haven't got a verse reference for that one either, but it is in the New Testament. Um, and we should keep watch that we wouldn't be thrown off course by temptations or strife, envy, um, distractions, sin, anything. We need to make sure that we're staying on course. So we need to make sure that we're working effectively, right? Keep watch. And then Nehemiah also prayed. Um, he, he knew that God had a plan and knew what was coming. So he gave his problem to God, right? Rather than obsessing over it, allowing it to become a distraction, making further problems, he just gave it to God. And he did take physical action. He set a guard, remember? So, but he also gave it to God. So he didn't just ignore it and hope it went away. He, he did, he was very, he took, two, he took two approaches to the problem. Did something, he did something immediately. He kept a watch, set guards, made sure that nothing could come against him in a surprise attack. But then he took it to God and he, because he knew what God would, uh, that God would be able to sort the situation. So I think the other way opposition can work against us, the first was the kind of actual physical opposition, if you like. Um, the other way opposition can work against us is this demoralising factor, right? It's the fact that it's the feeling that maybe we should just give up now. It's, it's just, it's gotten hard. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to give up. But when we've truly caught God's heart and we desire to further the kingdom of God on earth for his glory, to bring about, um, to, to magnify God's glory on earth, when we have these things as our motivation, we won't lose our mind to work. Um, following on from this verse, we see the enemies of Israel actually rally um, and make plans to kill the men of Israel. Um, but the Jews who overheard this, who they, they sort of were speaking outside of uh, outside of the city, the, the bad guys, um, and the Jews who overheard this, who lived near the edge, um, they went and told Nehemiah of the plan. Um, so Nehemiah then gathers the workers, he gives them weapons, and then he says this in Nehemiah 4 verse 14. 
Nehemiah 4, verse 14. It says, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. So did you hear the key thing he said there? Remember the Lord and fight for your families and homes. So here we see Nehemiah take a stand against the opposition by reminding the people of the call of God. Remember the Lord in his glory. Remember that what the purpose for which you're working. And then remember that he is what he has called you to do. Remember his heart and his and the burden that he has put on your heart on your heart for his kingdom purposes. When Nehemiah reminds the people uh, of their families and their homes, he's reminding them of the purpose for which they're building the walls. Right. The people are what make up the nation of Israel and in restoring the walls to bring about physical protection and strength to the people of Israel. They're bringing glory to God. So when the opposition came, Nehemiah stood against the discouragement by reminding the people of the heart of God and the reason for their work. In the same way, when discouragement comes our way, um, we can stand firm with a mind to work by bringing to the forefront of our mind the reason that we're working. Right. We've caught the heart of God reminding some, uh, regarding something. Rather, we can and we should ask the Holy Spirit to fill us afresh and to remind us of the heart of God. Right. If you're feeling discouraged, take it to God and ask that the Holy Spirit would just burden your heart again with the things of God and cause you to work um, to, to work from a mind and a heart that is set on bringing glory to God. OK, so that's two of the obstacles the people of Israel faced. So just before we kind of draw to a close, um, I want to talk about one more obstacle that these people faced. So if we turn over to Nehemiah 4 verse 10. That's Nehemiah 4, verse 10. Um, so this is actually, um, this is sandwiched right in the middle of the verses that we just read about the opposition from the enemies of Israel. Um, so it says, in Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. So this is actually said right in the midst of all that we've read about the enemies of Israel coming against Israel. Um, so they were faced with opposition coming from the outside. And in the middle of all of that, the tribe of Judah, um, who had historically been the strongest tribe of Israel, they had been the most powerful, the strongest kind of tribe. There were 12 tribes that made up Israel and they were the strongest. But they speak up and they say that they don't think they'll be able to manage to carry on and finish the goal because their strength was failing um, and there was too much rubble. So it was too much even for the strongest. Um, and I think that this highlights a problem that we can often face in our own lives. And that's the problem of rubble. Right. So often in our Christian walk, um, before we can work on what God has called us to do, we need to clear the rubble from the old things or the old ways of living. Um, and it can be hard to clear the rubble. It was hard for the Israelites um, and it can be hard in our own lives. Um, but just as was the case with the walls of Jerusalem, the rubble in our lives needs to go. The rubble of the city walls prevent was preventing the new wall from being built. And so, so naturally, a part of the work in building the new wall was to remove the broken pieces of the old one. So I think in our lives, this is this can also be the case. Right. If our heart is to bring God glory, to desire his purposes on earth, then we need to remove the leftover remains of what used to be right in order to actually get around to doing the work. So part of having a mind to work is being willing to remove the rubble. But that's just a part of, of having this mind that's been transformed, that is set on the things of God. Part of having that mind to work is being willing to shift the rubble as well as build the new. Right. So this really only comes from a desire that God be glorified. That, that's a, that's a, the, it, the rubble isn't nice to get rid of. Right. I'm sure, you know, the rubble isn't a nice thing that you have to that you really enjoy doing, getting rid of the old rubbish in your life. 
right? But it, but when we have a, a desire that God be glorified, we understand that the sin and, and the things that hold us down and weigh us, weigh us down, um, they don't glorify God. They dishonour God. So we, if we want to honour God, then we need to clear the rubble. So the rubble can be sin in our lives. Um, absolutely. Sin, as I said, doesn't glorify God. Sin dishonours God. <clears throat> so when we've caught God's heart and we desire that he be glorified in our lives, we need to ensure that we're not living in sin. We need to ensure that we're walking in the holiness that God has called us to walk in, right? And that we're living lives that glorify God. We can do this only by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? It can be hard to get rid of sin, especially those sins that we like to keep around as pets, the little pet sins that we kind of secretly enjoy. Um, it can be hard to get rid of them, right? We don't, it's not something pleasant. <laughs> um, but this is why it's key to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and to keep in mind the goal, right? It is through the Holy Spirit that our hearts and our desires are changed that we catch God's heart um, and that we develop a mind to work, right? That's by, all by the Holy Spirit. So, um, and also that we live lives in a God-honouring way. That's also by the Spirit. So repent of the sins in your life. And when I say repent, that is turning from them and turning to God. Uh, saying Not just sort of saying sorry and going right back to it, but saying sorry and then actually making an effort to change the way that you live, right? Turn from your sin and turn to God. Um, and then ask that the Holy Spirit would purify your heart and help you to glorify God and to live a holy life. Um, and it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do this. And this is good. This is a good thing. That we, it's good that it's only by the Spirit that we can do this. Because our own strength is, I don't know if you've realised, but completely unreliable. It, on a good day, you can be really strong. On a bad day, you can be really weak, right? Um, it fluctuates so much, right? It, it's just the flesh is completely weak. Um, just like, it, it just never stands the test of time. We can't consistently do stuff in our own strength. But the Holy Spirit is omnipotent. The Holy Spirit is God, right? So the Holy Spirit is omnipotent and, and, and God being omnipotent can do anything. He's all powerful. So, so we can rely on his strength. It's never failing. So it's good that it's by the power of the Holy Spirit and not our own because it means we can consistently live a holy life, right? <clears throat> so we see that the rubble can be sin, um, but the, the final thing I just want to say is that it can, it can also be things that aren't necessarily sin, aren't like morally wrong in themselves, but old ways of thinking and doing things um, that, aren't, that, that aren't kind of wrong, but just are old and, and God wants to do something new, right? So this can apply to so many things that I could just get super specific and go for loads of different <laughs> examples. But maybe it's the way you try to, uh, that, that, you're, that you view trying to evangelise to your spouse, right? Um, maybe God wants you to, to, to forget the way you used to do it or you used to try and do it and go about it in a new way. And he's trying to speak to you about that. Maybe it's the way you think about your job. Perhaps God is trying to tell you that um, to, to stop thinking of it as a, just a job, but rather a, a place where you have the attention of your co-workers um, at all times and you can evangelize to them and let them know the glory of God and the, the work of Jesus in your life. Um, Maybe it's the way you used to, you, that you used to run a team or a charity or something years ago, right? But God wants to do a new thing in that. God wants you to go about a new way that will reach far more people. Now, I don't know your situations. I don't know what's going on in all your lives. But perhaps you, you need to clear away the rubble of the old um, in order to build the new, right? Equally, perhaps God is telling you to continue to go about the way things, uh, the way you already have been. Because sometimes we can, you know, he, he's told you a way to do it and he just wants us to carry on in that. The way to know what he's saying is to A, Check the Bible to see if it says anything about your situation specifically or a similar situation or, or principles that apply to your situation because he'll speak to us through his word. Um, and B, the other way is to ask for wisdom from God and guidance from the Holy Spirit, right? That he would prompt you to make changes where necessary and to give you the courage to implement them, but also the wisdom to continue doing stuff when it's going well. Um, so we can see in the verse that the, clearing the rubble can be tiring, 
The strongest tribe of Israel said that they were fatigued and could barely carry on. Fatigue comes when we work in our own strength, right? So we simply cannot do sustained work for the glory of God. Maybe you're feeling that, right? Um, we, simply, we simply cannot do sustained work for the glory of God without the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're feeling fatigued from clearing away the rubble, from clearing away the old stuff, if, you, if, it's, if you're getting tired of it and it's just, it feels like it's going on forever and you're forever just putting out old fires and, and trying to sort of sort out the old from the new, then ask, um, just ask the Holy Spirit would again reveal God's heart to you in glorifying him and give you a revelation of the glory of God and then maintain within you a mind to work, right? And when we have this mind to work and this desire to glorify God, it keeps us in pursuit of what he has called us to do. Um, when we keep the reason for our work in mind, the hardness of the rubble clearing and the building pales in comparison because we understand the glory of God. We understand the weight of the glory of God and we just desire to bring about the glory of God. It's just our deepest desire that God would be glorified in everything, in all things that we do. And then, and then the work just becomes, fades into the background. It just fades away until, because you're seeking the glory of God. You're seeking to bring about God's glory on earth. Okay, so with that, I'd like to kind of conclude my message. I'd like to round off there. Um, so yeah, let's be people that are in tune with God's heart for every situation, right? Let's be a people who desire to bring God's glory in everything and who have a mind to work in order to bring about God's kingdom purposes on earth. Remember that ultimately it's the Holy Spirit who gives us this desire to glorify God in everything and reveals to us what God's heart is for any given situation. So ask him to show you these things. If you can't relate to what I'm saying, ask him to show you these things and just ask him to burden your heart for the glory of God, that God would be glorified in your life. Have faith that he will and then just be willing to have your heart changed. And he will. He, you know, he, will, he wants to do this. He, he desires to do this because it brings about his glory. So just, yeah, ask the Holy Spirit, believe and then be willing. That's, that's the simple steps. So I'd like to close in prayer, just before, uh, like as we end. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, you can either say it with me after me, uh, but I'm not going to leave long pauses. Um, so just let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and get our hearts into a posture of prayer. Right. So God, we thank you for for what what you've spoken to us tonight through your word. Thank you for the story of Nehemiah. Um, and, and that you're faithful in all things and, and that you're never changing God. So the, the principles that apply to Nehemiah can apply to our life, God. Thank you that you never change, God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that dwells within us and enables us to do these things. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would fill each and every person listening and just fill them with, with, with a revelation of the glory of God and a burden to bring about, um, to, to, to magnify God and his glory. Holy Spirit, I just thank you um, that you dwell within us and, you're, and, and that, that you you're faithful to uh, that you're faithful to us and that you you love to to show us these things about god holy spirit i just pray for a, f a fresh infilling of each person um listening to this uh, to this youtube live thank you god thank you holy spirit in jesus name amen okay so thank you all for listening i hope that that's given you um a lot to think about tonight as you go into ne into this coming week um so yeah come back next week 8 p.m special guest speaker um, come back for a great word there. So, okay. Thanks, everyone. Good night.